Hello, welcome to the Tuesday, April 14th, 2020 edition of the Sandsonet Storm Center's Stormcast. My name is Johannes Ulrich, and I'm recording again from Jacksonville, Florida. Jan took a look at two different phishing emails that were sent three months apart and appear to come from the same actor. And it's sort of interesting to see how these phishing emails and related attacks are evolving over time or, well, how they are not evolving. In this case, they haven't really been evolving too much. For three months, this particular actor pretty much sent the identical email messages with some customizations and used pretty much the same phishing site where the user then entered their credentials. I guess if attackers wanted to do a lot of work, they would get legitimate jobs. On the other hand, well, uh, if it works, they're probably just going to stick with it and just fine-tune the message a little bit in order to make it work better. But this also shows that they're not really considering much like spam filters and the malware and such, which over this time frame probably should have uh, captured this particular attack. Also, sort of interesting little tidbit that you noticed is the actual page where the user enters the credentials. I've seen this a few times before with phishing sites where they always reject the first username and password combination. I believe they do this in order to evade users who think that they may have clicked on a phishing email and they're now entering a wrong username and password first, thinking that if it's a phishing site, well, it will tell them the password is correct because the phishing site typically sort of accepts any password you give it. And uh, that way, by first rejecting the password, they will sort of make the user feel safe to then enter their real password. Of course, if you enter the real password first, then you just uh, probably considered that you mistyped it. One of the threats often noted when talking about Internet of Things is that many of these things are connected to physical devices and there is sort of a possibility that an attack against the IoT device will actually lead to physical damage. Now, Coalfire took another look at 3D printers and was able to demonstrate that they were able to actually start a fire using a popular, even though low-end, uh, 3D printer. Now, one common IoT weakness they sort of latched on here was insecure firmware updates. A lot of these devices don't have good ways to check if the firmware is legit. They're downloading. So in this case, they were essentially playing man in the middle, then injecting a malicious firmware. And with this, they were then able to actually essentially bypass some security controls that the firmware normally has, and then essentially configure the printer so so it will overheat to start the fire. Now, this is, of course, not necessarily a simple attack. It requires a man-in-the-middle position, so nothing that easily scales. However, they also found that some of these printers do expose port 8899 with no authentication, and you can just connect to it with Netcat and essentially execute shell commands that accomplish the same thing. 
The second path, of course, being a lot simpler to pull off, essentially a couple lines of shell script should be able to do this and also a lot easier to scale. They're suggesting here finding these printers via Shodan. Needless to say, devices like 3D printers should never be exposed to the internet, but I keep saying this and people still do it. Of course, other vulnerabilities associated with sort of these cheaper IoT devices are default credentials, but sadly, that's not just a property of these cheap devices. Also, your June OS VMX routers are susceptible to this problem. Root accounts apparently in June OS come with a default password. So, well, as the manual should have told you, please update the password and don't use the default password that came pre-configured in the router. And then I mentioned before how browser makers and other uh, software makers have uh, frozen a lot of uh, the feature upgrades in order to focus on security updates right now. Google Chrome actually decided to take a step back and re-enable FTP in Google Chrome. Apparently, there have been some issues in particular with COVID-19 related sites where the FTP protocol was necessary and it caused some problems that Google Chrome no longer supported it. So in the next version, they re-enabled it. And this is it for today. Today on Tuesday, I'll also be giving a webinar. We call them now the at Mike Talks uh, about DNS. I'll be talking about uh, a lot of, sort of the recent changes to DNS, not just DNS over TLS and DNS over HTTPS. That'll be covered too, but also things like DNS cookies and other interesting and exciting features. So hope to see some of you there will be happening at 1230 Eastern and I'll include a link in the show notes. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening and talk to you again tomorrow. Bye.